Welcome to the Contracting Handbook Podcast, a podcast for how to run a small contracting company. Whether you're a general contractor like me or a trade contractor, starting fresh or been in business for years, here's all the stuff you never knew you'd have to know before you started your contracting business with the man who's seen it all, your host, Mike Kenoki. That's me. Hey everybody, it's it's Mike and I'm back with the Contracting Handbook. And today, uh, my next guest is a contracting consultant who focuses on efficiencies and being more profitable with your contracting business. Uh, he and I have been bantering back and forth a bit on Instagram as he has an excellent engaging presence there uh, that really makes you think about what you're doing with your business. And so uh, with that, I'd like to introduce Brian Kaplan, of Construction Consulting. Hey, Brian, thanks for being here. Hey, Mike, thanks for having me. You bet. So um, you guys can check out Brian's uh, work on constructing con- at, at constructionconsultingco.co on Instagram if you want to check him out while you're listening. And Brian, why don't you go ahead and tell us a bit about your business and how you got here? Yeah. So, I mean, I'll dial it way back to uh, the early days of my life and, you know, kind of had this fascination with Lego and building in general and fast forwarding after, uh, as as many of us do as builders. Um, And then fast forwarding to coming home from university after studying sports medicine, kind of decided that I didn't really like working in clinics and all that sort of thing kind of, we bought our first house and I just started renovating it. I had really no idea what I was doing at that time, but I was kind of good at it and really enjoyed it. And so, you know, the rest is kind of history. I spent, you know, 21 plus years working. Um, I'm a Red Seal certified carpenter, which is our certification up here in lovely Canada. And um, then I spent a lot of time working as a lead carpenter, site super project manager, general manager. Uh, I was an entrepreneur as well for a decade. So, kind of been in and around the industry in a lot of different respects and facets. And there's really no stone that I think I would say that I've left unturned when it comes to, you know, dabbling in the residential space. And about three years ago, I decided to, um, you know, I was working as a general manager of a successful brand out here in Toronto and decided that I would jump out and really help people with all the questions I was getting asked on an ongoing basis and all the mentorship that I was doing on a daily basis with the teams that I worked with you know, I decided that I could actually have a much wider, you know, cast a wider net here and be able to really hopefully affect change in the industry and help people in what is a very difficult business to run, as I think everybody listening would appreciate. So, um, you know, that was, that was kind of my foray into the consulting world. And it's been an absolute blast ever since I sort of jumped into it. A little bit scary at first, of course, like any entrepreneur would say, but it's been great. I've been working with some fantastic clients over the past few years and seeing them grow and change both personally and professionally. And as a coach, that's something that, you know, is very um, gratifying to see that people are, you know, stepping up and taking the challenge and then actually doing something about it and watching them kind of flourish. So it's been a really exciting journey so far. That's great. And, and it's nice that you have that hands-on experience to, to draw from and uh, going to the school of hard knocks. Yeah. Yeah. Learning through trial by fire. For sure. Yeah. I would say that like, that's probably one of the things that 
gives me a bit of, I don't want to say an edge, but like of an insight to what the days are like. Like I was talking to one of my clients this morning and he was just describing a situation he's going through. And I've been in that place many times. And as someone that's hands-on as well as running projects and running companies, you know, you just, I understand it from that level or any level kind of in a business. And it gives me a great insight to kind of be able to connect with my clients and understand kind of how they're feeling and give them not just like the great tips that you might see on Instagram, those inspirational quotes about doing this, that, or whatever, but really how to manage and navigate some of these tricky situations we find ourselves in. Yeah. And it's nice that you have that space now to stand that stand back and objectively look at things because uh, it's so hard when you're running the business to, to be objective, to really have time to stand back and look at yourself and what, 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 and how you're doing it. Yeah. And yeah, it's a good point. I remember years ago, one of my bosses said to me, I had called him because I was confused by something on the drawings. And he kind of just said, you know, you've got to know this thing better than I do. And it was kind of one of these interesting moments where I realized that <clears throat> we're kind of a product of our own perspective. And I wasn't in it enough. I was just taking too wide of a lens on, you know, what I was looking at. And, but, you know, I need to understand that project better than somebody else. But in doing that, you are a product of only that tunnel vision that you have. So being able to kind of step outside that and see it, you know, in this lens has been really interesting and working with people across the U.S. and Canada, it's working with people in all different states and provinces and all different sizes of businesses. So it's been really interesting to kind of reflect on something. And what I'll tell everybody that's listening is that everybody has the same problems that you have. Everything that you're thinking right now is exactly what's going through every builder's head. Uh, whether you're doing residential remodeling or new custom homes, whatever you're doing, it's all the same challenges. So, so it's been kind of uh, an interesting sort of awareness for me. That's great. That really echoes kind of the, the, the reason why I started the show too. And I'm, um, it's, it's, it's affirming to, to hear it from you too. That, you know, <laughs> we are, we are all, we all experience the same things. And when you're, when you're doing it, you don't ask other people, you don't have time to talk to other people. And, and the trade secrets are so tightly guarded a lot of time that people aren't sharing information. And yeah, and that's a, that's a roadblock for a lot of people. Yeah. Social media has really helped for sure with that. I think that it's, yeah. it's broken down some barriers because people are willing to share. And, you know, one of the goals, <clears throat> excuse me, that myself and other coaches in the industry that are, you know, trying to affect positive change have is to, to build community and, um, whether that's through group classes that you run or or membership programs, whatever it is, is be able to get people that are in different locations in the same virtual room, you know, on Zoom, and be able to actually speak, you know, business owner to business owner and ask those tough questions and get real answers, not, you know, not answers that are guarded, as you said. So, and that's something that I think has really, you know, social media has been really positive in that regard, I would say. Definitely. And I realized when I was uh, developing the podcast that when I was looking for people to bring on the show, I realized that half the people I follow are from other countries around the world. Yeah. And we're all talking about the same subjects on social media. So yeah, it's been really, it's been a really neat journey um, sharing out, sharing, having these shared experiences. So, um, so are you doing business online or are you doing business strictly in, in your surrounding area? How, how are you doing that? Yeah, so uh, all the work I do is 100% virtual. So we do use Zoom um, pretty much exclusively. Um, and yeah, I work with people, you know, 
from you know Toronto all the way to Vancouver, down to uh, San Bernardino, California, across to Austin, and back up to New York, and kind of a few stops in between along the way. So, um, so it's uh, it's as I said, fun to to kind of get different perspectives from people in different states and different provinces, and and kind of see what's happening regionally. You know, not to by no means do I want to get into a COVID conversation by any means, but um, it's been interesting just to see how it's affected people in different states and provinces over the past 15 months as well. So um, that's been an interesting thing in being able to share things that have come up that have been successful in other places with other people in other places has been uh, kind of cool as well. So but yeah, it's all 100 percent virtual. That's awesome. And and developing that you know, having that going on during COVID must have been nice because things were just pretty crazy there for a while. Um, it's interesting too, how we're having soaring, soaring demand and soaring prices right now. This is, <laughs> you know, yeah. Uh, and, and are you, are you hearing that from clients? Everywhere? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot that's happening. Um, <clears throat> on the same call this morning, you know, we were talking about supply chain issues, trade availability, and of course the, you know, the, the, soaring prices that we have on commodity goods like wood and steel and all of that, which everyone's been feeling. And I think there's been a lot of lessons learned through COVID about being more efficient, you know, especially with the lockdowns and ordering, procuring materials, but also things like escalation clauses in our contracts. That's something that's really come to the forefront for a lot of people, you know, building homes or doing, you know, remodeling projects as well. You know, you take an average 2,500 to 3,500 square foot home that's being stick framed and you know you look at the lumber package bill there and you look at what the cost is today um, and you know strictly speaking from more of a custom side as opposed to a semi-custom or production building but obviously those sectors are also greatly affected but yeah i mean i think it's i think COVID has really brought some awareness to some of the better practices that we should be doing in our construction businesses so you know i like to say that COVID's had some unintended outcomes uh, one of which is that people are got a lot more comfortable using virtual technology to do initial client screenings and calls, which saves you from running around town and meeting people, you know, left, right, and center that aren't going to amount to the right type of client for you. Escalation clause is another big thing. I think that's become, you know, it's really been highlighted, you know, considering all the supply chain issues and yeah. soaring prices and all of that. Um, and so, yeah, it's been, it's been a real challenge and, People in different areas have kind of commented where they can't get their materials quick enough or there's massive delays. I mean, for us here right now, uh, laminated veneer lumber like LVLs and uh, siding products, exterior wood siding like Maybach and Fraser wood siding, those products are all incredibly backlogged. So we've got a lot of you know clients that I have that aren't able to actually take roofs off because they can't get their specialty you know, LVL length lumber you know, in stock on the job site before they can actually remove a roof and start building. So, so there's been a lot of really interesting delays and outcomes that have, you know, not all favorable, of course. So. Yeah. I heard that. I just heard that Cascade Wood Products has stopped uh, making any BCIs over 12 inches. So 14, 16 and LVLs. Yeah. So they're only doing 11 and seven eighths, which is going to yeah. have a pretty big effect on things. Yeah. Um, because of the wood shortage. So, um, okay, for those listening out there, um, I kind of ran into Brian on on Instagram because he has some really engaging 
posts and his stories where he asked a lot of questions about what you're doing and they really got, got my attention. So I, I went to his link tree and, and found his website. And the first thing I noticed was he says that you should, that estimates should not be free. <laughs> you have my attention, sir. You're on. Yeah, this is, uh, this is one of those things, you know, and I always like to tell the story that a very long time ago, there was a guy. I say a guy because, and it could be, it could be a gal, but let's face it, I think it's a guy. Um, you know, he decided, hey, I'm going to be competitive, you know, against the other people that are in my little community here. And I'm going to, I'm going to say that I'm going to do this work for free. I'm going to give people estimates for free, and that's going to give me an inside track. Well, the truth is, is that I think if we could all go back in time, you know, all of us would would try to reason with this individual um, and because I don't promote violence or anything, but we'd probably we try to reason with this individual to not take that approach. And uh, fast forward to today, you know, free estimates is not the cost of doing business, first and foremost. And that's what I want to tell everybody that's listening. So if you think that you have to do free estimates to get work, to get the right clients, to get profitable jobs, you're, you're incorrect in that assumption. I have helped hundreds of remodelers and custom home builders change this in their businesses over the past three years. And it doesn't really matter what market you're in. A lot of people might be in smaller markets and they say, well, you know, it's, we don't have great margins here and people are just so used to this and all of that. And I've changed it in very small markets across the US. So uh, first and foremost, I just want to say that if you are doing them for free right now, there is a better way. I do have a free training that's in my link tree on Instagram, a little shameless plug. Um, but uh, that does get you started on the path of, you know, kind of that awareness piece of why we don't want to do those free estimates. Great. Uh, I have only charged for a few estimates, but it was, with, it was, they were conditional where, you know, the people didn't own the land or something or didn't own the house yet. So if the job came through, that money would come back out of the work. Yeah. I mean, the thing about the thing about the free estimate side of it is that, you know, there's a whole bunch of things I could ramble on about, and I'll share a couple of things. First and foremost, you're starting a relationship for free with people. And when you start a relationship for free, it means they don't value what you're telling them. So think to something that you get for free. Like for a long time, I had all these eBooks on my computer I have like a folder that had like 26 of them in there. I just went recently and deleted all of them because I got them for free. So I didn't value them. Meanwhile, I have a stack of books that are, sit on my desk and I read tons of books because I paid for them. They were $13 or $26 or whatever the number was, but it's because I paid for them that I'm actually going to value them. So your clients, when they get it for free, they just won't value what you're telling them and they end up shopping you around just trying to hear the right price that they want to hear as opposed to, and that's really when we talk about giving a free estimate, you're negotiating. That's free bidding. That's bid tender process. That's a broken system. What we want to do is move to the educational piece. And when you actually charge for your estimates, you're putting in a relationship building practice. You're able to actually develop a connection with people. You're able to listen carefully to their needs, wants, and desires, and then be able to package those emotional drivers and help to drive towards the outcome that they're looking to achieve. So in the sales process, we always talk about trying to move towards that future outcome constantly or painting that picture that they want to have. Um, and getting paid for your, your time and your expertise values you above anybody else in your, 
in your area. So you might be thinking, again, no one does it for free in my neighborhood. But the truth is, is that, you know, you are going to make your competition irrelevant by changing how you do business. So um, if you're not, if you're currently doing estimates for free, um, and again, I would say it doesn't really matter where you are. The first thing I would say is like, charge $150. That's it doesn't matter how long you're going to spend on the estimate. It could be a full house remodel that might take you anywhere from 15 to 25 hours to put together. Obviously, $150, if you divide it by the amount of time that you're putting in, is not much. But it changes the game. It changes your own awareness and mindset as to like valuing yourself first. So um, that is such a crucial first step. And it's what I teach in that training that, that uh, anybody can kind of join. Okay. But how do I get my client my potential client to even let me in their house if I'm going to charge them and no one else is because, you know, I just did an episode about tire kickers and low ballers and, you know, all these people you're trying to avoid because you definitely need to avoid a lot of people. But, <laughs> you know, if I want to get in someone's house and everybody is, you know, completely trained to expect that the estimate is free, how do I get in there? Yeah. Because I, because I do want to work with them or they seem like they're a good, a right fit for me just from the phone call. So what do I do? Yeah. Yeah. It's a good question. And to clarify, you know, there's a few ways that you can do this. When I say charge $150 for the estimate, you can charge for the consult if you want, but traditionally you'd go and meet with somebody after you've done a first phone call with them to kind of clarify that they might be a good fit to work together. It's the type of work that you want to do. It's in a location that is desirable for you. The timeline works potentially for what your production calendar would say. Then you're going to go meet them in person. Typically, we'd still do that as a free visit, but we're not at that moment walking through, collecting all this information and then spitting out a work estimate right there and then, or even sharing really ballpark numbers with them because that can always be challenging. I'm sure everybody that's listening would agree that as soon as you say a number on a site, that number is always wrong when you actually work out the estimate later on. So, um, so the message there is that you'll likely meet with them for free, build some relationship, establish that. That's your opportunity. That's your window to explain to them, this is how we work. Right. This is how we do business. We charge for our estimates. The reasons are, and then you just insert all the value drivers that you can possibly find in a, someone's free training. That's great. And um, my audience has definitely been hearing me beat the drum of no, no ballparking ever. No ballparking yes. figures because you will yeah. lose. That's a. The reason is, and here, here's, and I, you know, and forgive me if I haven't caught it on your podcast, but. Have you talked about the planning fallacy? Is that is that not yet? So planning fallacy for everybody, you know, if you know, if you're listening to Mike and he keeps beating this drum about not ballparking numbers, the reason that you can't give ballpark numbers is something called the planning fallacy. It's a psychological condition that every single human alive has. We are terrible at estimating time. We're terrible at estimating cost. We're just, we have no ability to really effectively quantify things when we're under pressure. It's just a proven fact. There are psychology books after psychology books that, that talk about this. So that's, just remember those two words, planning fallacy. Every time, you know, you're in someone's house and they say, well, how much do you think this will cost? Just remember, no matter what you tell them, it's likely going to be half as much as what it's going to be. And if you don't feel comfortable, whatever number comes in your head, doubling it right there and then, then it's better to say, until we have all the details worked out, we have a proper scope of work and we actually go through the process of estimating properly, it'd be really difficult for me to give you any sort of feedback. 
And uh, that's that's super solid. I I haven't heard the the referred to as the planning fallacy before, but uh, I have independently arrived at kind of the same conclusion there because <laughs> uh, I've done it because I've done it wrong a lot, you know. For sure, so, we all have, know, right? <laughs> yeah, and um, so it's just not it's something I completely avoid. And, and in my I had an episode about first time site visits, and it's that's number one. Yeah. Do not set because you're setting an expectation that is just wrong. And Absolutely. even when you have a well-written contract that explains the difference. Four weeks in the project, they're going to bring up that first ballpark you gave. Yeah, absolutely. Because you've incepted that number in their mind, right? Yep. Nothing's going to change that. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Um, okay. So anything else about, about those about estimates that you want to get across to the audience? I mean, again, I would, I would just stress it enough to people, or I can't stress it enough to people that, you know, you've got to get paid for your time and your expertise. Um, you know, if you're plumb, if you, we've all had this experience where something's broken in our house and we've hired somebody like a plumber, for example, and they show up and then maybe they're there for half an hour, but they charge you $250 or $175, $150, you know, I'm using a sliding scale here, depending on where you live, but you might think, well, for that 30 minutes, you know, this, this is, doesn't seem like a really equitable amount of money, but the truth is you're paying for the expertise. You're paying for the years of experience, not the time that it took to do it. And it's the same thing when we talk about estimates, right? You, you have a lot of value, a lot of expertise and a lot of years of experience that is incredibly valuable to somebody that's just an end user homeowner that doesn't know anything about remodeling or anything like that. So don't devalue or undervalue what you bring to the table. And the way to get around that is to start charging for your estimates. It's such a critical part of your success. No doubt. You do not want to sell yourself short and people who demand hourly rates and ballparks, you just have to completely avoid them. If they want an hourly rate, you have to just explain that it's not how it goes. It's That's right. It's a problem. We don't you're, trade you're, time for money. We don't trade time for money, right? We sell value. It's the value. It's why I say future outcome when you're selling, because you're trying to sell the outcome to somebody. Um, I did a podcast series and we went through this in detail about, you know, how you actually sell that value and that future outcome, um, as opposed to talking technical stuff and stuff that people don't really understand, you know, and I think that's as contractors, we, we sometimes fall into that trap of, of speaking in a language that a homeowner doesn't understand, but uh, we're not trying to trade time for money. We're trying to, you know, sell value when we, when we work with people. Absolutely. Okay. In one, in, in a podcast that's going to air uh, next week, just before this uh, I I'm urging my audience uh, the show is about being or just getting organized. Like yeah. you need you need a system. I didn't have a system for years. I I was definitely floundering. I thought oh, I should do something repetitively eventually here. And and I and I did. And one of the things I do is when I had employees, is I started I started typing up all my to do lists for them and my own punch list, and I would save them all in an electronic file and hand them off to them. But I could go back at any time if I'm on a similar job a year later, a couple of weeks later, and pull up that same punch list and not have to think about everything every single time. Because when you do that, you always leave something out. But if you already have a punch list made, you look at it and it refreshes your brain and you can just add to it. But you don't have to think about it as much. Yeah. So 
What's your take on this sort of behavior? Yeah, I mean, it's a big, it's a big conversation. I think the big picture point here is, you know, I always talk about the one stud at a time method. So for all the carpenters listening to this and all the builders out there, you know, if you're going to go ahead and, and frame a wall, you could go and measure, mark, cut, and install one piece of lumber at a time, or you could systemize it. You could go and make an entire cut list. You could then set up and cut everything, and then you could go and install everything. And it's the simplest explanation or way to describe what we talk about when we talk about systems thinking. And systems thinking is the, the, the method by which we look at something and say, what are the repeatable actions that I'm doing on an ongoing basis? And how do I actually systematize this, right? The word's actually systematize. I always say systemize, but systematize is the correct uh, word. It just sounds funny to say it all the time. Um, but when we talk about systematizing, um, you know, there's a lot of things that come into it. So one of the things that you just shared is, you know, I imagine you were using a cloud-based system, right? So that you have your information centralized. So whether that's a Google Drive, a Dropbox, a Builder Trend, a Co-Construct, whatever platform you're using, the advantage of cloud-based technology is that everybody's accessing the same information at any point. Here's a really simple one. You know, I remember when I first started using Builder Trend all these years ago, and I'm not affiliated with them. I'm just putting that out there, just using it as an example. Um, people would always text you and say, hey, could you send me this, you know, the plumber's contact or the electrician's contact or this, that, whatever. And we had a team of 25 people. So you can imagine the amount of traffic that was always going through. But when we basically pull our, put all our contacts on Builder Trend, well, then everybody had the same access. So now they stopped bothering each other and they just went to this centralized spot. So that's a great example of using systems thinking as opposed to the one stud at a time approach, which is, hey, let me just text Mike because Mike's got the plumber's contact information. He'll share it with me. But then it's a one-to-one -one sort of exchange. It's not a one-to-many. And, and that's really, when we talk about systems, that's really the overarching sort of idea that we want to really sort of bring into the fold here. Yes. Organizing, systematizing, super important for your, because if you don't, if you don't get on it right away, things really start to get away from you. Yeah. And, and absolutely. You know, the end of the week when you're trying to bill people, when you're trying to organize receipts, when you're trying, it's just, you, you can spend the weekend doing it yeah. instead of, instead of being like, oh, this is, I have everything set in one place. I know, I know where to grab everything. And yeah. Um, and I think a lot of people get overwhelmed. The thought of it all is like, well, how am I going to actually get there? You know, it sounds great, but where do I start? You know, they're yep. like, a lot of people say that to me. It's like, this all sounds really great, but how do I get to the, the promised land, so to speak? So one of the things that I talk about a lot, it's not my concept. It's in a bunch of different productivity books, but it's just the concept of the 1%. So in some people would say, well, how do you measure the 1%? And I would say, it doesn't really matter. It's about the one thing that you look at today. So for example, if you're going to go start creating a estimate, you know, and you go pull out the, you know, typical behavior, what do we do? We go to the last estimate we did and then we start blanking out numbers, right? And that's the one that we use because we feel like it's the most accurate. So another way to, to kind of take a little intermediate 1% step here would be, I'm going to take this, I'm going to blank out all the information, and I'm going to put it into a templates folder on my cloud storage, wherever that might be. And now what I've done is I've taken, I've taken one small action that's now going to be, you know, multiplied over time because everybody is going to have access to that template. So that's just one small example of how you can apply that 1%. First and foremost, what I would say is, 
we have to get ourselves digital. I, I help a lot of people that are still fairly analog get into kind of using digital stuff. And um, ultimately it's about getting onto a cloud-based system. It's about sharing information is really what it comes down to. And that's really your, your starting point of the journey. And then just starting to think every single time, ask yourself the question when you're gonna go do an action, what's the way that I could make this repeatable? So for example, with the estimate, instead of just taking the last one that I did that's on my desktop computer and it's not shared anywhere, I could take that, I could blank it out and I could put it on my cloud storage under a templates folder. So that's a way to start a, start that ball rolling. And I'm gonna just chime in and say that uh, this is, th that's awesome. I personally, I used to just go straight to my uh, my other bids that are similar to the current thing I'm bidding and blank out. And that definitely ended up with some errors when I was really busy and I was leaving inline items that had nothing to do with the job or whatever. Yeah. But now I have a massive template that has anything you could possibly encounter. Yeah. And then I go through and I start crossing that basically deleting lines because they're, that are not relevant and then kind yeah. of filling in blanks as I think about the project. And yeah. it saves so much time. It saves time, but it also helps you to not miss things. And that's the biggest yeah. problem, right? Is, I mean, everybody that's listening to this has at one point in their career missed something on a project. And if you're a fixed cost builder, unless you know you, you can you feel like you can make a strong argument and you want to go to battle with your client um you know that that means money left on the table and even for cost plus builders listening to this a lot of us you know I, i've been on both sides of the spectrum spent a lot of time in the cost plus world and there was a lot of moments of concession you know a lot of conversations with clients that they would say you know look i get it i get that you missed this but ultimately it's a cost that we weren't aware of and the, the famous words that you never want to hear a client say, if we had known that was going to be a cost, then mm. we would have insert blank. Mm. And those are the words you never want to hear. Mm -mm. And I'm not telling by any means, I'm not advocating for you to eat any costs in your construction business because I'm a strong advocate of not doing that. But this is kind of how it happens when we miss things, which kind of brings me back to the question or the, the, the term punch list that you brought up a moment ago. And for those that have, you know, are listening and, and learning about me from the first time, um, one of the things that I'm a strong advocate of is checklists or our checklists, I should say. And um, if you haven't read the checklist manifesto by Atul Gawande, who's an international uh, surgeon and best-selling novelist or not novelist, but author, um, go read that book. It will probably change how you do business and how you look at punch lists, how you look at production in your construction business. I wrote a book based on that book that is specifically for construction people because as soon as I read that, I was like, this is something that absolutely needs to happen. And he makes some very strong yet very simple points in the book, just talking about how, you know, you mentioned a moment ago, Mike, how, you know, a few weeks later, if you had something, a punch list or a checklist written down, you didn't have to try to recall all that information from your brain because chances are you're going to miss something. And it's those things that we miss that become those problems that, you know, surface later on on the job site or, you know, omissions on the financial side. And all of that equates to, you know, a lack of efficiency and a lack of profit on your project. So um, again, if you haven't read that book, go read it. It's fantastic. And I can't, I can, cannot stress enough that checklists are really one of the savior for improving efficiency in any residential contracting business. Well, I haven't read that book. I'm definitely going to read it. And for you out there listening, I want you to know that I was not, I was aggressively nodding in agreement uh, <laughs> through that whole 
um, response about checklists, because if you have checklists for your projects, if, and you have folders for like bathroom remodels, kitchen remodels, you will say, you will make far fewer mistakes. You will not leave out details. And another thing I point out in the podcast, that's going to be air the topical one just before this show is I carry a notebook and each page is a day. And, mm-hmm. and so I can go back in time and transport myself back to that house with a picture and the notebook. And really, sometimes my co- clients are really surprised at the details that I rem- that are in my contract, but I don't want to leave any special stuff that they wanted out. Yeah. And you win contracts more often when you remember those fine details that, that the client mentioned that that isn't yeah. like a big cost difference or but just that you remember that they said something special that they wanted and yeah that's a big deal absolutely that's um sorry to jump in but that's something i talk about in the sales process we call those breadcrumbs so when people mm. they drop these breadcrumbs when you're walking around their house and they're talking about things it's the little things the subtle things that they say after they've said everything and they say the last thing that's the most important and most truthful thing that anybody will ever say it's those little things that seem like really inconsequential, but those are the most powerful statements you can then collect, recycle, and and regurgitate to them. Sounds awful when I say regurgitate, but um, you can literally, you put that back to them. Um, when you remember, here's a great example. I had a client that uh, my wife and I about, what, four or five years ago decided that we didn't want to spend winter in uh, chilly Canada, so we went down to Savannah. And in Savannah, Georgia, for anybody that might be in that, in that city, that beautiful city, there's a, there's a art school called, I think it's called SCAT, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Savannah College of Art and Technology, maybe something like that. Hmm. Anyways, I was in my client's house here in Toronto, you know, a couple of years later, saw a calendar or a book that said that there, and I could see that it was from Savannah. And that was an instant connection. That was something that I was able to connect with them on a different level. Coming back to the free estimate thing, when I said you bring into practice a relationship building process, this is exactly what we're talking about. If you want to sell value, you need to connect emotionally with your clients. They say little things. These are little breadcrumbs that you can collect and you can use to make those connections with people in your in your. You were talking about breadcrumbs when we got cut off there. Yeah, I don't know if I, I feel like I might have gotten to almost to the end of my rambling on. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I, I think that um, we got a good taste of the breadcrumbs because, and that's a great, it's nice that you have these terminologies for this. I'm going to start using <laughs> the, pl- the planning fallacy and breadcrumbs because I, I am, yeah. I'm a huge proponent of that. Writing down yeah. those, de- those little details because people will remember you. Yeah. They, will not, they will forget the other contractor who came to your house if you if you pick up on the stuff that they really care about. Yeah, 100%. Here's another little like simple thing that you can do also is um, you might come across something like uh, we had some clients that were doing a like a 10K, uh, 10K run or some like a, a short triathlon or something like that. I can't remember. It was really short. And, um, you know, we we made a note of when it was put it in our calendars and, you know, wish them like, Hey, have a great race the day before followed up with them a couple of days later said, Hey, how did it go? You know, type of thing. And these are such simple little things. Um, but just the process of collecting that breadcrumb, you know, writing it down, 
putting it into our digital sort of repeatable system, which is just our calendar, right? So just having that system of what you do when you have some information like that, you know, to your point, Mike, like they'll remember you when you are somebody that, that does stuff like that, it's clientele development 101. And, you know, the most important thing is people in life want to be heard and they want to be needed and they want to be remembered. And, and that's really like, all of us are the same way, despite any tough exterior anybody has, that's really on a primal level, you know, who we are as people and people really remember that if you remember them. Yeah. And, and another, another breadcrumb is knowing people's first names Yeah, <laughs> at the end of the meeting and saying goodbye to them by their first name. Absolutely. Write it down because yeah. you will forget. I forget everything. I forget everybody's names now. I'm just like my dad, but, um, yeah. but it's super, that, that is a, when you say people's names, they smile. They're, yeah. they, they remember that you thought about them. Yeah. Um, so how are you, how are you getting clients for your business right now? What's your, what's your main strategy? Um, you know, there's a lot of different strategies. I mean, I think for me, first and foremost, what I tried to do is offer a lot of value to the industry in all the ways that I can. So whether it's free trainings that I put up or free opt-ins, like, you know, a lot of us have on our websites and all of that, you know, I try to put out a lot of, of great value. I was very active on LinkedIn at the beginning of the business and still definitely put out a lot of content there, but I've, you know, shifted a lot towards the Instagram platform simply because I think a lot of us as builders and or modelers and, you know, other contracting trades are on there and spending a lot of time on there. So I try to add a lot of value there and help, you know, give people insightful tips and things. And a lot of it is, you know, in a, in a one sentence line, I say that life's too short to learn from your own mistakes. So learn from mine instead. And, you know, I try to give some actual insights for people to, to do exactly that is to learn from the mistakes that I've made. So there's a lot that's come through kind of what we would say are outbound marketing channels um, in, res in regards to that. And, you know, in the early parts of it, you know, it was really reaching out like every entrepreneur, reaching out to the networks of people that you know. And I had been, you know, doing this for over two decades here in Toronto and was fairly, I'm fairly well known in this city. And um, just kind of put it out there and started collecting clients and learning and growing and then jumped into the course side of things and, you know, collecting or bringing together people from all different states and provinces across the states and in Canada. And so, and it's kind of a certain point starts to like any contracting business, really, you start to get some word of mouth, you start to get some awareness, some authority, and it, it kind of just evolves from there. And again, you guys out there, that is uh, at constructionconsulting.co. I got that right, right? On you got Instagram. It. Yeah. You got it. And I was, I, that's where I, again, where I found Brian and, and I was completely engaged as soon as I saw what he was putting up and I, it really, every, his message really resonated with me. And I, I was like, we have so much in common with, with how we have gotten to where we are in our lives with the construction industry. So what, what kind of results are you getting with your clients? What, what kind of feedback are you getting in terms of them becoming more efficient and, and more profitable? Yeah, you know, it's, it's as varied as we are as humans. And I think some of the stuff is tangible. Some of the stuff is less tangible. But I think the biggest thing for, you know, everybody that I have worked with is, you know, the sounding board component of it. I think as, you know, you, you mentioned this a, a few minutes ago of like, you know, those conversations that you might have with other business owners in your region, 
they're kind of guarded conversations. They're not, you know, conversations that have, you know, a, a real intimate level of sharing details type of thing and best practices and, you know, numbers and all of this sort of thing. And I think that's the part that people really crave is having somebody that has been in their shoes that has run multi-million dollar companies has scaled them from, you know, single operators to, to, you know, 20 to 25, uh, company peoples, uh, peoples, uh, companies, I should say. Um, and just having that sounding board for reflection to say, sorry, my dog's come to, to join us here in the podcast. This is a That's part of the podcast of, world. Yeah. yeah. Casualty of working at home. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, so as I said, some of it's, some of it's tangible. I think the sounding board part is, is obviously very intangible in that sense, but results wise, you know, people knowing their numbers is something that I'm incredibly passionate about. So I do a lot of work with people on the financial side, um, helping them and their bookkeepers and accountants get a good workflow in practice so that we have a one week lag time in our financial results. That's the, the message. That's the goal I'm always driving towards because it is so difficult to get there. I'm sure a lot of people listening to this are thinking, I don't even know how I would get there. I don't even know where I would start. I don't understand, you know, my QuickBooks or my financial statements or anything like that. Um, I take an immense amount of passion towards helping people understand those financials because this business is so difficult. And the last thing that you that should happen is that you don't end up earning the value that you're bringing. And so that is something that's really, really, you know, I, I didn't earn what I was worth early on in my career. And it's something that I sought out to change and educated myself over decades of experience. And now I try to parlay that into, you know, the coaching delivery that I do. So we do a lot of work there. Those are definitely very tangible results um, that we can measure. Obviously the estimating for free and not doing it um, is something that I strive to change with every single client that I work with. And, you know, the, we've got almost hundred percent success rate there. So, um, there's, there's a few that may be in their own way of doing it, so to speak, but, uh, but they're getting there slowly. Um, so that's something that's, you know, really important to me. And then, you know, I, I was never really a natural born salesperson and, you know, throughout the years, I obviously had to sell and I didn't really know how to do that. And my dad was a phenomenal salesperson. And so I picked up a lot from him, of course, and I really developed a lot of different systems and educated myself on, what people are really thinking and how you can actually, you know, emotionally push people through to make decisions and how do you manage the emotions in a room and all of that sort of thing. So I do a lot of sales coaching. Like for example, today a client sent me something and, you know, we were doing a bunch of coaching in relations to a current project that they're working through. And so there's a lot there that again, might be a little bit intangible, but you know, sales revenues tend to go up, profits go up and their backlog or production calendar gets filled with better projects as we also do some marketing stuff as well. So there's a wide spectrum of things that we do, which kind of dictates some of those tangible and intangible results. And I'd imagine that most of your clients are pretty motivated to change their behavior. So they're willing, actually willing to pay you because contractors are inherently cheap. We don't <laughs> want to spend money on anything. We don't have to. We're... You know, it's, it's kind of like anything in life. I think if the pain is bright enough, you're motivated. Um, the truth is, is that it's not easy, you know, and I, what I always like to, to kind of share with people is that you're not, you're not paying me and you're not, in, you know, you're not in, investing, you're investing in yourself. 
And that's mm-hmm. really what's happening here, right? When you hire a coach, it doesn't matter if it's, it, would, it would be me or it would be a life coach or it would be personal trainer, which is a coach as well, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You're not, you're not investing in them. You're investing in yourself. And that's the, the main thing. And, you know, there's definitely um, some, some people that I've spoken with that do have some, I would say, I wouldn't say cheap, but like they have some low money mindset you know, type of, you know, scenario going on. And, um, and we have to work to change that. And some of them, you know, obviously just don't end up being clients of mine because, um, you know, they're not willing to actually kind of jump off and trust that the bungee cord is attached to them and know that they're, you know, going to make change. It's hard to make change as a human in general. I mean, just even a simple thing, like going for a run in the morning, you're going to find every excuse not to go for a run. And that's really the power of a coach is to kind of say, well, look, you're investing in this now. And these are the commitments that we made between today and the next time we speak. So, and then you've got somebody that's following up with you, of course, to make sure that holding you accountable. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) So, but as I always say, like I can bring you to water, but you've got to drink. No doubt. No doubt. And I think uh, most contractors rate their income by and jobs by saying like, Oh man, don't want to talk about it or did. Okay. Or, oh man, I did really good on that job. But that's yeah. kind of the, that's kind of the breakdown of that's, of that's pretty much it. And those answers, to be honest with you, are completely like, there's no measuring that's going on there. It's nope. a, usually a, a bank, a bank balance accounting type of method, which is something I'm, you know, striving very hard for people to not use, of course. So um, helping them understand their numbers. That's great. Uh, so what's, uh, we're coming up on an hour here. What's like one last piece of advice you have for, you know, the startup or someone who's just been doing it for a long time and, you know, has bad, bad behaviors. They've, you know, I mean, we're all, we all, we all get, we all get tunnel vision. You get busy and you think you're doing stuff right. And then one day you realize you've been doing it wrong for years and you could have saved time. You could have made a lot more money. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot that I could say here, of course, mm-hmm. but I think what mm-hmm. I'll do is I'll draw on a book that I read recently by Adam Grant, who is a, I think his title is a functional psychologist. Hey, um, hey there you go. Beautiful. Um, great book. It's called Think Again. And, um, you know, in the book, he challenges uh, what we, what one of the concepts that really stuck with me is something called the overconfidence cycle. And that is the cycle where, and I think a lot of us, uh, especially men in the construction industry, I think we really fall into this a lot where, you know, we say things like, well, this is the way that we've always done it. Or I know, mm. you know, oh, this man. is how you should, you know, you, this is how you should do it, you know, and you train people that way. And there's no reason why you're doing it that way. It's just, you know, it's, well, this is the way we've always done it. Like, you know, the guy that taught me taught me this way and I'm teaching you and, and I don't pay you to think, just go and do it, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. And I think that's something that we all fall into. Right. Oh, and, um, I think the the biggest premise of the book there is kind of, you know, is to challenge those overconfidence cycles. And one way that you can do that is by asking yourself, what would need to be true for me to rethink this? In other words, what would have to be proved false um, in what I'm doing right now to basically say, I should rethink how I'm doing this. And for a long time, I suffered from this. You know, I suffered from an, I've always been an incredibly confident person. And that is a very double-edged sword because in social settings, you know, you can be a life of the party and you, you know, I have no problem getting up in front of a room with three to 400 people as I did at IBS and, 
you know, no problem speaking in front of a group like that. But on the other side of it is that you can obviously steer yourself wrong because you're not willing to listen to people around you. And for those that are, you know, running even small owner operator, or maybe you have one or two guys in a truck with you, or you're running a 20 to 25 or 50 person business, listen to the people around you because they're often a really great reflection of the things that you might be missing and things, and they give you opportunities to rethink some of the things that you think are facts but in fact, you know, may not be. That is excellent advice. Um, and so why don't you tell the audience how they can get in touch with you? Because maybe there's someone out there who would, who really wants to come and spend some money and they're, they've decided, Hey, I, I, I need help because I probably should have done that 10 years ago. I just kept going, learning the hard way. <laughs> and, 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 and things have worked out for me and I've organized and I've done a lot of things, but you know, uh, there's a lot of people who could really benefit from your services. Yeah. So go ahead and tell the crowd how to get in touch. With yeah. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, yeah, the easiest way, I mean, uh, Mike's already mentioned, uh, you know, uh, at constructionconsulting.co on Instagram. I'm kind of there every day. Um, as Mike said, we, we started chatting there and, um, I'm kind of always around and, and love chatting with people on, on the messenger platform there. So that's one spot that you can get in touch. Um, you can search me on LinkedIn. I, I do post a lot of content there. I post a lot of blog articles there as well. Uh, tons of information. And then of course the website, which is constructionconsulting.co. And there's some other uh, opportunities there to, to kind of get into my email list or to get started and book a call. If you want to get on a call and chat and we'll see where your business is at, where you want to go and see if I can help you make up that gap. Hey, you guys, this has been Brian Kaplan, the man, the legend, <laughs> the crowd goes wild. Thanks for being here, Brian. Hey, stick around for a minute and we can chat when I, when we hang up here, but thanks so much for being here. Thanks so much, Mike. All right, guys. That's all I got later. Thanks for listening today. Go ahead and email me if you want to be on the show or want to tell me what you like or don't like about it at my email info at the contracting handbook.com. And this is where I say, if you have not subscribed, please subscribe wherever you source your podcast. Thanks again. Talk to you soon. Later. Mm-hmm.